Hello, this is Empires and Civilizations. Episode 14, The Decline of the Umayyad Caliphate. Al-Walid's death in late February 715 was a turning point in the history of the Umayyad Caliphate, though it was not apparent at the time. Though Al-Walid's son, Abdulaziz, was the initial designated successor, following his death, his brother Suleiman ascended to the throne unopposed. Suleiman began his rise to power during the reign of Al-Walid, when he was governor of the Palestine Jund. During his stint as governor, he oversaw the construction of the city of Ramla, which became the new capital of the Palestine Jund. Yet when he became caliph, he chose Jerusalem as his seat of government. Later in his reign, he moved to Dabiq in northern Syria. Though Suleiman's reign was brief, lasting only two years, there were significant administrative changes and conquests. While his two predecessors, Abd al-Malik and al-Walid, were firm supporters of al-Hajjaj, Suleiman was notably against al-Hajjaj. As governor of Palestine, Suleiman caused controversy when he granted asylum to members of the Muhalabid family who escaped imprisonment. One of the Muhalabids was Yazid ibn al-Muhalab, the former governor of Khorasan who was imprisoned by al-Hajjaj. Suleiman and Yazid developed a lifelong friendship that would substantially alter the political landscape of the caliphate. All of al-Hajjaj's appointees suddenly found themselves in the line of fire. Musa ibn Nusayir remained in Syria until his death in 716 or 717. Qutaybah ibn Muslim had renounced Suleiman before he assumed power, yet after becoming caliph, Suleiman reconfirmed Qutaybah's position as governor of Khorasan. Qutaybah was finishing up his campaign in Fergana when he received the news. Still, Qutaybah feared that Suleiman would be less lenient in the future, so he proclaimed a rebellion against Suleiman. However, only Qutaybah's family and a small number of his troops supported the rebellion, so it would have been no surprise when the Arab and Persian troops mutinied. Qutaybah and several of his family members were killed by the mutineers in August 715. Muhammad ibn Qazim found himself arrested by his successor in the governorship of Sindh and then escorted to prison in Wasit. In 715, he died either during torture or by execution. Now that many governorships were vacant, Suleiman filled these positions with his own allies. Yazid ibn al-Muhalab was awarded with the governorship of Iraq and Khorasan. Suleiman launched several campaigns during his reign, but the level of military successes were beginning to wane. Jurjan and Tabaristan were conquered, but those were minor campaigns compared to Suleiman's biggest project, a large-scale invasion of the Byzantine Empire. Suleiman appointed Maslama ibn Abd al-Malik as commander of the land forces. Maslama was experienced with fighting against the Byzantines, having led annual summer raids into their territory since 705. Suleiman also appointed Umar ibn Hubayra al-Fazari as commander of the naval forces. As the Umayyads invaded Anatolia, the Byzantines were still plagued by the Twenty Years' Anarchy. After Justinian II died in 711, a few more emperors came and went until Theodosius III, who had taken the throne at about the same year as the Umayyad invasion, 715. The first city the Umayyads took was Amorium, which had fallen into disrepair due to Byzantine infighting. While stationed in Amorium, the Umayyads came into contact with Leo, the strategos of the Anatolic theme. Leo agreed to surrender Amorium if the Umayyads would proclaim Leo emperor. Although the garrison at Amorium was undermanned, Leo refused to open the gates for three days and entered into a period of protracted negotiations. With supplies running low and winter approaching, the Umayyads withdrew, while Leo escaped to Pisidia. While Maslava sacked Pergamon, Umar wintered in Cilicia. 
In the meantime, Leo traveled to Nicomedia, where he captured the son of Theodosius III and then headed for Chrysopolis. This forced Theodosius to abdicate, allowing Leo to be crowned Leo III. While wintering in Asia, Maslama realized that Leo was not fulfilling his promises, so he resumed the campaign. After taking the port of Abydos, he ferried his troops across the Hellespont and invaded Thrace. On August 15, 717, he reached the outskirts of Constantinople, initiating what would become the Second Umayyad Siege of Constantinople. The Umayyads dug trenches and built parapets around the city. On September 1st, the Umayyad fleet arrived, taking advantage of a strong wind coming from the south. Unfortunately, the troop transports, which were the heaviest ships, lagged behind, creating a gap. Leo exploited this gap by sending out his fleet equipped with Greek fire. Some 20 Umayyad transports were burned and sunk, killing their crews as well. On the same day, Leo stealthily drew up a chain protecting the prominent harbor known as the Golden Horn. The remaining Umayyad fleet mistakenly believed that Leo was trying to entrap them, so they withdrew to a safer position, squandering a unique opportunity to occupy the Golden Horn. Meanwhile, on September 24th, Suleiman died in Dabiq, and he was succeeded by his cousin Umar II. Pious, intelligent, and lenient, Umar was regarded as a model caliph. In 707, he expanded the Prophet's mosque in Medina at the request of Al-Walid I. However, his decision to accept Iraqi refugees fleeing persecution from Al-Hajjaj earned the anger of the cruel governor, and Al-Hajjaj pressured Umar to resign as governor of Medina in 712. Umar's work as counselor to Suleiman made him the prime candidate for succession. As the new caliph, Umar inherited the war against the Byzantines. The winter of 717-718 was a harsh one. The landscape was covered with snow, and the Umayyads lost many animals. In the spring, a second Umayyad fleet that was assembled in Egypt arrived, carrying much-needed troops and supplies. Shortly afterwards, a third, much smaller fleet arrived. Shockingly, these two fleets defected to the Byzantines. Since the majority of Muslim sailors were on the first fleet, all that was left were Christian sailors. The defectors informed Leo about the location of the main Umayyad fleet, and the Byzantines used that information to destroy those ships. The Byzantines had achieved naval superiority. It was so safe for them that they were comfortable fishing outside the city walls. In contrast, the Umayyads suffered from a famine so massive that they ate their dead animals. Even worse, the Bulgars, who allied with Leo, inflicted additional casualties on the Umayyads. On August 15, 718, the Umayyads were forced to withdraw after receiving orders from Umar. It was said that on the way home, the Umayyads were battered by storms that sank all but 10 ships. The second Umayyad siege of Constantinople was a massive failure. Once again, the Byzantines defeated an Umayyad invasion, but unlike the first siege, the Umayyads would never fully recover. Prior to the second siege, the Umayyads won the majority of their battles against the Byzantines, but afterwards, the Umayyads found themselves losing most of their battles against the Byzantines. Umar II played an active role in managing the Caliphate's internal affairs. Once again, Yazid ibn al-Muhalab was captured and imprisoned in Wasit in 718 or 719, though he would escape in 719 or 720. Umar claimed that Yazid had reneged on promises of revenues he raised as governor during Suleiman's reign. Umar was best remembered for his fiscal policies. 
Though it is unclear what reforms he actually enacted, Umar strived to improve the revenues of his state while ensuring that new converts to Islam had the same opportunities as other Muslims. Thus, Umar abolished the jizya for recent converts to Islam. In addition, he attempted to separate state funds from the caliph's private wealth, but this meant giving less funds to Umayyad nobles, which had been a common practice. The circumstances surrounding Umar II's death are controversial. Some sources allege that while traveling from Damascus to Aleppo, Umar was poisoned, perhaps by his own family, in early February 720. Umayyad nobles would definitely have seen Umar's reforms as a threat to their power. Other sources merely claim that he died from illness. Because of his piety, Umar was the only Umayyad caliph to be praised by later historians. In fact, the ruins of his tomb still remain today. Umar was succeeded by his cousin, Yazid II. Despite neither receiving administrative nor military training as a prince, Yazid was placed as second in line to the succession by Suleiman after Umar II. Immediately after becoming caliph, the inexperienced Yazid II was faced with a rebellion led by Yazid ibn al-Muhalab, who had recently escaped from prison. Yazid II first responded by ordering the arrest of members of ibn al-Muhalab's household in Basra. Ibn al-Muhalab's brothers al-Mufadal, Habib, and Marwan were thrown into prison, but Ibn al-Muhalab captured Basra and freed his brothers. However, he could not save his son Khalid, who was arrested in Kufa and sent to Damascus, where he would later die in prison. Yazid II sent Syrian troops to Iraq under the command of Maslama ibn Abd al-Malik. Yazid ibn al-Muhalab, who had the Basran army at his disposal, was advised to retreat east, but he did not accept this advice. Instead, he made for Wasit. Maslama encountered Yazid ibn al-Muhalab outside the city on August 25th, 720, and Yazid and several members of his family were slaughtered. When Yazid's son Muawiyah heard about his father's death, he executed 32 prisoners that were in his possession. The surviving Muhalabids fled to Bahrain, then to Kerman. They were denied entrance to the city of Kandabil, so they fought a valiant last stand until all but two Muhalabids were killed. Meanwhile, after years of inactivity, hostilities between the Umayyads and Khazars resumed. The Khazars were threatening the southern Caucasus frontier, as an Umayyad force was routed by the Khazars in Armenia in February or March 722. So Yazid II appointed Al-Jarrah ibn Abdallah governor of Armenia with orders to attack the Khazars. After defeating a Khazar force led by Barjik, the son of the Khagan, Al-Jarrah captured the cities of Balanjar and Wamandar and reached the region around Samandar before withdrawing, taking substantial quantities of booty with him. In 723, Al-Jarrah launched a second campaign against the lands beyond Balanjar, but it did not amount to much. Domestically, Yazid II sought to annul the reforms made by his predecessor, Umar II. In the regions of Sindh, Khorasan, North Africa, and Spain, Yazid reintroduced the jizya for non-Arab converts, but this did not seem to be a popular decision. The governor of Khorasan, Sayyid ibn Amr al-Harashi, aggressively imposed that policy, contributing to wars and revolts in the region for the next 20 years. The Sogdians, for example, led a failed rebellion. The governor of North Africa, Yazid ibn Abi Muslim, was assassinated in 720 for trying to impose the same policy. According to Greek sources, Yazid II issued an iconoclastic edict sometime between 721 and 723. 
Theophanes the Confessor stated that a Jewish magician promised Yazid a long rule if Yazid ordered the destruction of holy icons in Christian churches throughout the Caliphate. This decision exacerbated the tensions between different religions within the Caliphate, and it would even influence Byzantine Emperor Leo III's later decision to enforce iconoclasm. Yazid II passed away in late January 724 and was succeeded by his brother Hisham. Although initially kept from becoming caliph due to the accessions of his brothers, Hisham would rule for 19 years, marking the last period of prosperity for the Umayyad Caliphate. A lot more is known about Hisham than some of his predecessors. Like Umar II, he was pious and sober. He facilitated the development of Islamic faith and culture while also being interested in ancient Sassanid traditions. Hisham was extremely competent and was always active in affairs of state, sometimes even personally interfering. When Hisham became caliph, the Umayyad Caliphate was changing. Following Al-Walid's death in 715, conquests were becoming less successful and drawing in less revenue. The disastrous seeds of Constantinople and occupation of Iraq were very costly. Even worse, a significant part of the annual revenue went to Umayyad princes in the form of land grants. These princes put capital investments into these land grants so that they could increase their own wealth. Hisham himself owned several estates from which he managed the caliphate's affairs. Of course, this emphasis on extravagance was resented by the local population. Opposition to the Umayyads was already present by the time Hisham became caliph. The tribal conflict between the Qays and Yaman, or Qalb, that had existed since the Second Fitna was still prevalent. As we have seen before, as one group succeeded the other in a governorship, it eliminated any officials belonging to the latter and embezzled all of their possessions. Also, Allah's sentiment remained high, especially in Iraq. Zaid ibn Ali, the great-grandson of the famous Ali, led a revolt in Kufa, but his location was betrayed to Iraq's governor at the time, Yusuf ibn Umar, and Zaid was killed. Under Hisham's rule, the Umayyads launched vigorous military campaigns against their rivals. In the Caucasus front, the Umayyads took Tbilisi from the Khazars in 724. This might not have been the first time the Umayyads captured Tbilisi, but this was the first time the Umayyads fully established their hold over the city. In 725, al was replaced as governor of Armenia by Maslama ibn Abdul Malik, who decided to survey lands in Armenia for taxation purposes rather than campaign against the Khazars. The Umayyads were in for a shock when, in 726, the Khazars were found south of the Caucasus. While the Khazars returned back, Maslama's failure to decisively subdue the Khazars resulted in his replacement with al Jarrah in 729. Yet, it would be under al Jarrah when a disaster for the Caliphate would take place. In 730, al Jarrah invaded the Khazars once again, crossing through Tbilisi. However, the Khazars somehow outmaneuvered al Jarrah and besieged the important city of Ardabil, which was virtually defenseless. Al-Jarrah was forced to retreat in order to save Ardabil, but he was killed in a three-day battle outside the city in December 730. His army was annihilated, and the Khazars captured Ardabil. Shocked, Hisham appointed the veteran general Sayyid ibn Amr al-Harashi to repel the Khazars. Sayyid met the main Khazar army around Bajrawan and inflicted a crushing defeat. It was said that he killed the Khagan's son. This allowed Maslama ibn Abdul Malik to be reappointed governor of Armenia in 731 and to resume invasions north of the Caucasus. The situation improved in 732 when Hisham appointed his cousin, Marwan ibn Muhammad, as the new governor of Armenia. Peace returned to the Caucasus region temporarily, but in 737, 
Marwan convinced Hisham to launch a massive expedition to end the Khazar threat once and for all. It was said that Marwan mobilized an army of 120,000 men, which was most likely an exaggeration. Before marching into Khazar territory, Marwan subdued Armenia in order to secure his rear. Marwan then launched a two-pronged attack targeting Samandar and captured it. He even reached the regional capital of Atsil, which was located further to the north. It seemed that Marwan swept through Khazar lands, encountering little resistance. Sources may have over-exaggerated Marwan's success, because the Umayyads failed to wipe out the highly mobile Khazars. Still, the Khazars never launched a serious invasion of the Umayyads again. On the Byzantine front, Hisham increased the frequency and intensity of campaigns. Many of these campaigns were led by Hisham's son Muawiyah. These campaigns culminated in the winter of 727 when Muawiyah penetrated deep into Anatolia. The Umayyads reached the city of Nicaea, which was on the doorstep to Constantinople. The Byzantine inhabitants of Nicaea fled by ships, and the city was besieged for 40 days. However, the reinforcements arrived and saved the city. After being defeated at Nicaea, the Umayyads would never reach this far in Anatolia again. The next massive campaign would not occur until 740. This campaign was led by Hisham's son Suleiman. After securing his lines of communication, Suleiman sent Al-Ghamar ibn Yazid ibn al-Malik, Malik ibn Shu'ayb, and Abdallah al-Batal ahead with small forces for each of them. While Al-Ghamar and Suleiman returned to Syria after making successful raids, Malik and Abdallah were surrounded by the Byzantines and annihilated near Akroanon. After the Battle of Akroanon, it was the Byzantines who were launching aggressive raids into enemy territory. Hisham also turned to an entirely new front, India. The province of Sindh had fallen into disorder after rebellious Yazid ibn al-Muhalab seized the province. In 723, a new governor of Sindh, al-Junayid ibn Abdul Rahman al-Muri was appointed. At the time, there was a Hindu rebellion led by the local leader Jai Singh. Jai Singh was defeated by al-Junayid in a naval battle on the Indus River. But after reconquering Sindh, al-Junayid did not stop there. He invaded the nearby kingdom of Kiraj, which seemed to be a part of Sindh. After taking the capital, al-Junayid put an end to the kingdom of Kiraj. He even invaded kingdoms on the Indian subcontinent on the justification that they stopped paying tribute. Having gained substantial amounts of cash and prisoners, al-Junayid led the last overwhelmingly successful Umayyad campaign. Unfortunately, after al-Junayid stepped down as governor in 726, the Indians revolted and Muslim troops were expelled. The Umayyad position in India entirely collapsed. Egypt was usually a quiescent province, but turmoil even appeared here. In 724, as part of Hisham's new fiscal policies, the governor of Egypt raised land taxes by 1 24th and drafted cops for forced labor. For decades, the cops were generally accepting of Umayyad rule, but they erupted into rebellion for the very first time. However, this revolt failed, and the land tax was raised by an eighth in 730. In response to the revolt, Hisham ordered 3,000 soldiers to settle on the eastern side of the Nile Delta. The Copts rebelled against tax collectors in 739, but they were defeated again. The Coptic revolts revealed two problems with the Umayyads. First, it demonstrated that the Umayyads could not solve their fiscal problems by simply raising taxes on non-Muslims, and second, the Umayyads were forced to divert troops to Egypt. Those troops could have been deployed in more important areas. In Transoxania, a new threat developed in the form of the Turgesh Khaganate. Starting in 720, the Umayyads and Turgesh engaged in near-consistent warfare. 
the governor of Khorasan, Muslim ibn Sayyid al-Kilabi, had led his forces to besiege Fergana by the end of 724, but his army ran straight into the Durgash forces that were superior in numbers. Abandoning the siege, the Umayyads hastily retreated, covering a three days journey in one day. For eight days, the Umayyad forces were constantly harassed by Turgesh cavalry, had to burn their baggage train, and were almost blocked from crossing the Jaxartes River. This defeat, which would be labeled as the Day of Thirst, put the Umayyads on the defensive. The Umayyads adopted a new strategy of placating the people of Transoxania in order to hold on to the region. This meant abolishing the jizya in the region. However, a new governor of Khorasan, Ashras ibn Abdallah al-Sulami, attempted to reimpose the jizya. This led to a massive Transoxanian revolt that was aided by the Turgesh. Umayyad holdings in Transoxania were reduced to Samarkand, Karmarja, and al-Dabusiya. The gains made by Qutayba ibn Muslim were reversed. Ashras immediately tried to recover the lost territory but only succeeded in retaking Bukhara. In 730, Ashras was replaced by al-Junaid al-Muri, who achieved greater success in restoring lost territory. However, in 731, the Turgesh besieged Samarkand, forcing al-Junaid to relieve the city, resulting in the Battle of the Defile, lasting three days. While the Umayyads lost more men than the Turgesh, they succeeded in rescuing Samarkand, on receiving news of the battle, Hisham sent 20,000 Iraqi troops to Khorasan and ordered Al-Junaid to enlist 15,000 more Khorasanis. Hisham also sent 30,000 shields and 30,000 lances, which would have cost a fortune to Al-Junaid. Al-Junaid remained governor of Khorasan until his death in February or March 734. The new governor, Asim ibn Abdallah al-Hilali, was faced with a serious revolt led by Al-Harith ibn Suraj. Al-Harith's movement sought for reforms that ensured that non-Arab Muslims were given equal treatment as Arab Muslims. The Umayyads must have been shocked, since this was the first revolt in Khorasan since the Second Fitna. Initially, Asim wanted to reconcile with Al-Harith and sent a delegation, but Al-Harith imprisoned them. Al-Harith marched on Merv with 60,000 men, drawing large numbers from non-Arabs. Yet out of nowhere, Asim signed a truce with Al-Harith and sent a joint letter to the Caliph asking for his approval. However, Assad ibn Abdallah al-Khazri became governor of Khorasan and entered the province with a 20,000-strong Syrian army. Assad was disappointed with Asim for failing to fight al-Harith. Assad defeated al-Harith, forcing the latter to retreat across the Oxus River. Assad mounted one last campaign into Transoxania in 737. In Kutal, the Umayyads received word of an approaching Turgesh army 50,000 strong and broke into a panicked retreat just like in the Day of Thirst. The Umayyads frantically retreated across the Oxus River, though the Turgesh devastated their rearguard. While besieging the Umayyad camp, the Turgesh looted the Muslim baggage. But the Umayyads were not out of the game. During the winter of 737, the Khagan of the Turgesh allowed his troops to scatter and forage, but this played right into Assad's hands. Assad encountered a 4,000-strong Turgesh force at Karstan and decisively defeated it. This marked the end of hostilities between the Umayyads and Turgesh because in 738, the Khagan was assassinated and as the Turgesh fought among themselves, their empire collapsed. This allowed the new governor of Khorasan, Nasser ibn Sayyar, to re-establish Umayyad rule in Transoxania between 738 and 741. While the status on every front ranged from successful to disastrous, North Africa, while not previously a front, was the region where the Umayyads failed the most during Kisham's rule. 
The local Berbers had suffered under Arab rule. Berbers were not paid stipends like Arabs, so their only chance of achieving income was by acquiring booty while serving in the military. Still, Arab commanders exposed the Berbers to greater dangers during combat. The North African governor, Ubaidullah ibn al-Habab, took a fifth of the Muslim Berbers as slaves on the premise that they were originally booty and the caliph never received his share. Finally, the Berbers were influenced by Kharijite principles of equality and fairness. Ibn al-Habab had little suspicion that the Berbers were planning to revolt. In 740, he sent Habib ibn Abi Ubaida al-Firi on a naval expedition against Sicily. Although Habib was reported to have extracted tribute from Syracuse, Sicily's capital, the Berbers took advantage of the lack of troops in North Africa to revolt. The revolt broke out in several places at once on August 15, 740. The rebels chose Maysara al-Madgari as their leader. The rebels gained initial success by capturing Tangier, forcing Ibn al-Habab to recall Habib from Sicily. Before Habib reached North Africa, an Umayyad force besieged Tangier. Sometime during the siege, the rebels became discontented with Maysara's leadership and replaced him with Khalid ibn Humayd al-Zanadi, who led the Berbers out of Tangier and annihilated the Umayyad army. So many high-standing Arabs fell at that battle that it became known as the Battle of the Nobles, fought in December 740. In April or May 741, Hisham appointed Kultum ibn Iyad al-Kusheri as the new governor of North Africa and sent an army to suppress the Berber revolt. This army consisted of 27,000 Syrians and additional troops levied from Egypt and Libya, bringing the total number of troops to 30,000. Maintaining the cooperation of North African Muslims was vital for the success of this expedition, but the Umayyads failed at achieving even this. The North Africans, who were used to relative independence, feared that their so-called rescuers were there to stay. Even worse, Kultum's nephew Balj cursed Habib in public, causing the Umayyad army to fracture. In October or November 741, Kultum met the Berbers at Wadi Sabu. Kultum sent Balj with some cavalry during the night to surprise the Berbers, but the Berbers pelted them with stones, driving them back. Balj himself was wounded. This forced most of the Arabs to dismount, negating the advantage their cavalry had. Balj, with 7,000 cavalry, charged the Berber lines, but he was separated from the main Umayyad army. The Berbers attacked furiously, killing Kultum, Habib, and other Arab nobles. Balj's forces were trapped in Ceuta, and after realizing that they could no longer affect events in North Africa, they crossed over to Spain. The Berber revolt was so successful that the Umayyads lost western North Africa forever. With the risk of losing the rest of North Africa a big possibility, Hisham appointed Hangzala ibn Safwan al-Kalbi, the governor of Egypt, as the new North African governor. By now, the caliphate had to fight to retain eastern Tunisia. The Berber leader Ukasha ibn Ayyub al-Fazari besieged Gebesh, then Gafsa, but he was defeated in 741 or 742. Ukasha was defeated once more near Kairouan. Similar Berber advances were also beaten back. While Western North Africa was permanently lost, at least Eastern North Africa would remain an Umayyad possession. During Hisham's rule, a new region for expansion opened up, Western Europe. Historians recall the 732 Battle of Tours, a battle so iconic that it will be the subject of the next episode. All I will say for now is that the Battle of Tours marked the furthest penetration of the Umayyads into Western Europe. Hisham's policy of increased military activity had different levels of success from region to region. 
In India, the Umayyads were triumphant, then not so triumphant. In the Caucasus, Hisham's cousin Marwan reversed previous Umayyad losses. In Anatolia, the Umayyads were losing in their war against the Byzantines. In Western Europe, the Umayyads finally hit a roadblock to their expansion. In North Africa, the Umayyads were faced with disaster. But regardless of which regions were successful and which regions were not, Hisham prevented the Umayyad Caliphate from falling apart. During the final years of Hisham's reign, the usual question of succession resurfaced. He first considered his son Muawiyah as his successor, but Muawiyah's early death in 737 forced him to turn to his younger son Maslama. Later, he decided upon his nephew Al-Walid, but he was very reluctant. Al-Walid had a strong reputation as a hedonist and was the exact opposite of Hisham, but when Hisham died of a heart attack at his estate in Rusafa in 743, Al-Walid became Al-Walid II. Next time, I'll take a look at the Battle of Tours and Umayyad incursions into Western Europe, as well as dissect fact from myth. <laughs>